Back in a different life, I traveled to Taipei, Taiwan on a business trip in the fall. For some reason, after looking at photos and books on Taiwan and seeing people dressed like they would in Chicago or St. Louis, I brought fairly warm clothing. But when I got there, it was steaming hot, and the country was revealed not as a temperate country, but tropical. It was a revelation to look at a map and to realize that Taipei was roughly the same distance from the equator as Honolulu or Mexico City. This morning, we'll look at Revelation through the perspective of Scripture as we access 2 Peter and receive an epiphany of Revelation. An epiphany of Revelation. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Now, I've chosen the, uh, the epistle text this morning from the Revised Common Lectionary because it kind of summarizes the whole theme of Transfiguration Sunday and more. And so as we look at this, you're going to see that the gospel text and also the Old Testament text are pulled into 2 Peter. Now, 2 Peter is written by Peter, the apostle. He's near the end of his life. He knows that his death is coming soon as prophesied by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's probably in Rome, and he's writing out to churches around the Christian Mediterranean world, a church that is now having challenges from an early heresy. So verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now he says here, cleverly devised, and in the Greek here, muthos, myths. Cleverly devised myths. Now many commentators believe that what he's speaking against here is the first of the great heresies to come against the church. Gnosticism. And it's kind of interesting because it's tied and woven into even the book of Acts. In fact, many believe that this early form of Gnosticism that was invading the church, this early form of cleverly devised myths, actually originated with a man named Simon Magus. He's the guy you see in the book of Acts. Simon Magus, Simon the magician, formed a cult based on syncretistic myths. He took Judaism, and his brand of Judaism was Samaritanism. He mixed it together with Hellenism. The myths and religious beliefs of the Greeks mixed them together, and he came up with this religious view. In his view, God is a fire, and fire is the first principle of the world. And men have this fire hidden within them. Emanations come forth from this great creating God, and these emanations come from the unregenerated being, the fire, to beings of flesh and blood. But how do you get these emanations? We had to go find one of these teachers with his cleverly devised myths. And oftentimes people would be disappointed. Later you have with Augustine with a similar frame of reference. He exhausts his teacher. He wants more, but there's no more to be gained from these emanations coming through these teachers, these secret teachings. By gaining secret knowledge... Kids, here's a good word for you. In Greek, knowledge is gnosis. That's where we get the idea of Gnosticism from. To gain secret gnosis, one could go on to boundless power and wisdom. But Peter says here, we did not follow cleverly devised myths, but rather we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this is in reference to the final coming of Jesus Christ, as you will see woven through the rest of our text here. 
The final coming is assumed to be a fact-based eyewitness account. He's coming again with power. Why? Because as Peter says here, we got a preview. We got a preview of his mega leotes, his divine power and glory. We got a preview of it. And because of this, we know he's coming again. We are eyewitnesses of this at the transfiguration. Let's go on to verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. The revelation of glory on the Mount of Transfiguration went something like this. First and foremost, God always reveals himself on mountaintops. You may remember Deacon Walton talked about this. God meets with his people in high places. First of all, he met with his people in the Garden of Eden, Eden, where the rivers went out and watered the whole earth. That means it was on high ground. That's where God met with his people. On altars, man-made, symbolic mountains, God meets with his people. God came down and gave the law in Exodus on Mount Sinai. And if you look at the tabernacle itself, the most extensive, elaborate tent ever in the history of the world, it's set up so that one ascends into higher and higher levels. You come through the outer court. You come into the inner court. And then you finally go into the Holy of Holies where one ascends through the high priest up to the mercy seat that's on the Ark of the Covenant. And then later, when all these implements go into the temple in permanency, where are they at? On a mountain in the mountain city of Jerusalem. So here, on the Mount of Transfiguration, glory was revealed. Jesus previewed resurrection glory as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And notice what happens. Now this is from our text that we read this morning, our gospel text, Matthew 17, verses 2 and 3. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So Jesus became light. In fact, there in the text, the Greek indicates light emanating from outside, from the inside to the outside. Jesus is resplendent with light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Why Moses and Elijah talking with him? Because it's the law and the prophets. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the old covenant, the Old Testament. Jesus in the flesh is God's house. The glory cloud that came upon the tabernacle in the temple. God the Father announced and lauded Jesus. Going on to verse 5 in Matthew chapter 17. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now think about this. Draw out the implications of it. Okay, when the tabernacle is built and all the implements go inside and everything's ready to go. And the priests are ready to begin their ministry in the tabernacle. What happens? The glory cloud comes into the house. The glory cloud is so powerful that people need to fall on their face before it. The glory cloud represents the presence of God with the people of God. And then when the temple is built in its permanent structure in the city of Jerusalem, the same thing happens. The implements, now supersized, go inside the house. And then what happens? The glory cloud comes and fills the house. 
and everybody needs to escape and fall on their faces. The glory cloud represents the presence of God with the people of God. And look what happens here. When Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's meeting with Moses and Elijah and Peter starts saying dumb things like, would you like me to build you a couple tents? We could stay up here forever. The glory cloud comes down. The glory cloud comes down on Jesus. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is the presence of God with the people of God. And then Peter says, we saw it all and we heard it all. In verse 9 of Matthew 17, And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Not secret knowledge that you pay money for. And you go to a teacher who claims to have emanations of these clever myths. But when Jesus rises from the dead, this news is to be preached to the ends of the world that the fullness and fulfillment of the old covenant has come. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Everyone needs to believe. Can I hear an amen to that? Verse 19 of 2 Peter chapter 1. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Notice the prophetic word is more fully confirmed, but it is a prophetic word that is the standard. The prophetic word is the standard. This is the prophetic word. And this is the standard. This is the final authority on all things concerning this life. The prophetic word is revelation of the scriptures. And the scripture is always the revealed standard that experience confirms. You have an experience? How many of you guys know about this Asbury revival? It's making all kinds of waves on social media, right? Maybe it's legit. But I'll tell you one thing a Christian does. He holds it against this standard against the prophetic revealed word of God. When you hear people saying, I've got a revelation from God, be careful. There's a difference between revelation and illumination. Revelation is God directly speaking through people, and he's done that in the past. But I believe that the fullness of that has come to pass with the canon of Scripture. God's speaking directly through people. Now what does he do? He does illumination. So you take out your Scripture. You read the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit moving on you. He reveals to you what God has already said. That's called illumination. Revelation is God directly speaking through people. Do you ever notice how when people prophesy, they're always saying something like, Thus saith the Lord, and then they say something you've heard in Scripture before? Do you ever hear a prophecy about something that's going to happen that's huge? And then it actually happens? Daniel's got stuff like that. Crazy stuff. He prophesies the coming of empires. He prophesies in detail the coming of Alexander the Great. I myself haven't heard a revelation except through this. But we are illumined by it. The Holy Spirit comes and shows us what God has already said. Pay attention to the scriptures, says Peter, because they are what? Light shining into darkness that will lead you to the end of this age. The end of this age. Notice this. Playing into the dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What is the reference to the morning star? Revelation 22 verse 16 says, I, Jesus, 
have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The bright morning star will come again. He will rise in our hearts and we will be glorified on the last day. But until then, we need to pay attention to what he has already sent to us. Going on to verse 20 in 2 Peter chapter 1. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Comes from someone's own interpretation. Scripture is not interpreted by private opinions of interpreters, but Scripture interprets Scripture. Have you ever come to a passage in Scripture and you're like, man, what does that mean? And then later you read somewhere else in the Bible and you're like, oh, that's what that means. This is called the rule of faith. The old translators and interpreters in the medieval era called it the rule of faith. It's the rule by which Scripture interprets Scripture. And if you're a wise interpreter of Scripture, you stand on the shoulders of those who come before you. Why would I reinvent the wheel on interpretation? After we've got 2,000 years of the Holy Spirit moving through the church of God, moving through wise men and women, opening up the Scripture to us, revealing things to us, through illumination, more and more. Why am I going to come to the, the Bible cold turkey and think, I'm just going to start from scratch? And you see people doing stuff like this all the time. Scripture is interpreted by Scripture. Even the original prophet was in submission to the will of God. The will of God by the power of the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Back in First Peter, Peter himself said this in chapter 1, verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The interpreters of old were reading the scriptures. The interpreters of old were reading what had been written, longing for, looking for the coming of the Christ, and wise people saw him and recognized him when he came. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Bible's been going out. First, the Old Testament went out and announced the coming of the Messiah through all the narratives and through all the signs and symbols of the Old Testament. And now through this age for 2,000 years, the word of God has been going forth and the angels long to look into these things. Kids, did you know that? Angels long to look into things that you understand. I really don't know how this operates. I think there's something about the unfallen angels, their perfections and their sinlessness that they can't understand how God deals with us. They look at it and they're mystified. I think part of it is they think, why would God bless those who rebelled against him? When a third of the angels rebelled, they were cast down. They were cursed as the fallen angels. But mankind, mankind rebels against God, who are created a little lower than the angels. And God takes the entire history of the world and goes out and redeems them. He sends his own son into the world to take on human flesh, God in the flesh. His own son comes into the world to die for these people and then to reverse the curse and save the world. And I think the angels long to look into these things. I don't think they understand what the simplest of you kids understand about the gospel message. 
Going on to verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And here's how revelation works. Not from the will of man. Men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it is clear that the prophets, those receiving revelation, were not robots. So when people were having revelation brought through them and then written down, it's not as though they go into a trance and they're just writing things they don't understand. I don't know what they sensed. I don't know what Paul thought when he was writing various letters and one becomes an epistle that goes in the Bible. I don't know what he sensed with that. Did he sense God was moving through him? I'm sure he did. But did he sense this would go down into the Bible forever? I don't know. But as people were moved on by the Holy Spirit of God, and these things are superintended by the Spirit and come together as the Bible, Revelation takes many forms. In the revealed Word of God, we see that there's written, compiled accounts, narratives, stories in the Old Testament, the Gospel accounts, in the New, in the Book of Acts, other ways in which the revealed Word of God comes, as in songs sung. We've got Miriam by the seashore with the women after Pharaoh's army is destroyed, and they sing, and it goes down in Scripture. The song of Deborah after the destruction of Sisera's army goes down in Scripture. Mary gets the revelation that she's going to be bearing the Son of God, the Messiah, as a virgin, and she sings forth the Magnificat, and it goes down in Scripture. Prophecies uttered by the prophets of old and letters written to people in groups moved upon by the Spirit and coming together in this that the church has recognized as the Word of God. And we've been standing on this for two millennium now. So when you hear people say, I've got a revelation from the Lord, be careful. When you hear someone saying, I was reading the Bible and the Lord revealed to me something that no one has ever seen before, beware. I thank God I don't live in the first century. You know, when someone came along back then and they go, hey, you know, the Lord just revealed something to me that I read in one of Paul's letters. You don't have a track record with history. By the way, that's why the Spirit was moving so powerfully with signs and wonders in the beginning. But now here we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. Thousands of years, empires brought up. Entire nations brought low and resurrected as Christian. Today, the Christian faith is the largest phenomenon in the history of the world. And when someone says to you, I've got something from the Word of God that no one's ever seen before, beware. When someone says the Lord spoke to them, and here's what he said, be careful. Friends, Deuteronomy chapter 18 is warning instructions for false prophets. In verse 20 there it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. False prophets were stoned in the Old Testament. If someone came and said, I've got a word from the Lord. Behold, God's going to do this and that. And then it didn't come to pass. The people of God were instructed, pay no attention to this one and have them put to death. We've got our airways full today with prophets, do we not? I remember when Jimmy Swagger was, or was it, I'm sorry, Oral Roberts. He's going to build this, I don't know, 200 foot high Jesus statue. And if you don't send your money in, the Lord's going to strike me dead. I don't think that statue ever got finished. He did die of old age. People constantly coming on the airwaves with their prophecies. Always prophecies about the end of the world. I remember back in the 80s 
when I was a fundamentalist, one of the big books was 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Again in 1988. And then it hit December 31st, 1988. No problem. 89 reasons why Jesus is coming again in 1989. But if we'd followed Deuteronomy, we would have dismissed them as false prophets. When someone writes out a prophecy, they say God gave them, and then they send a copy to every pastor in Texas. Beware. I get these. Back in California, I get these packets. Sometimes they're like 100 or 200 pages long. Sometimes they're typed out and copied. Sometimes they're handwritten. Someone spent months coming up with this great prophecy and I'd, I'd see that and I'd see my Bible there and I would take that prophecy and I would put it in its proper place in the trash can. <laughs> now, on to revivals, on to revelations. We've got this revival thing breaking out in Asbury. I hope it's the move of God and that it's a good thing. Oftentimes it's a mixture of good and bad. People claiming to speak in the name of the Lord. Well, what are we to do? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. And by the way, in the word of God, prophesying can mean foretelling something that hasn't happened yet. But it can also mean foretelling that which God has already said. So do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Test everything everything hold fast to what is good and when you test someone they're going to get mad when somebody comes along and says they're a prophet and thus says the lord and you say well here's what the word of god says how dare you question me friends god told you to test everything god told you to test everything god told you to test me when i'm in the pulpit that's why we recite the nicene creed before the sermon to test what the preacher says to see whether it's true or not so test everything, hold fast to what is good. And Revelation, all points to, was headed toward and is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ who has come, who has died, and who has risen from the dead. Can I hear an amen to that? A popular show on Fox, one my family likes to watch, not me so much, The Masked Singer. The show is all about Revelation where an anonymous celebrity dresses in an elaborate costume, has their voice disguised when talking, and drops hints about their identity. In the end, the panel of judges tries to guess who they are, and the contestant removes their mask so that they are revealed. The life and ministry of Jesus was all about revelation, where the God-man, veiled in human flesh, was increasingly revealed through his words, his deeds, and his passive revealings like the transfiguration. Unlike the masked singer, however, it's the glorious son of God who isn't wearing a costume, but remains a human being and God forever. This morning in Second Peter, we've seen the epiphany of revelation. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that we would be wise stewards and good students of your word. We pray that we would rejoice in the transfiguration, knowing that it points forward to the final transfiguration of us in the presence of Jesus. Bless us this day, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.